Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. This week we're discussing obesity as we publish today, Thursday, February the 19th, a new six-part series about obesity. In a moment, we're going to hear some of the thoughts of Dr. Christina Roberto, who is a key figure behind the series, and uh, she's also the subject of a profile that is published alongside the series papers and comments today. Just to signpost some of the other content so you can find it, and it's all free and well worth a read. Paper one, very much a framework paper outlining how patchy the progress has been on combating obesity worldwide. And Christina Roberto, who I just mentioned, is one of the authors of that paper. Paper two looks at food policies, what type of food policies are effective in combating obesity. Paper three, importantly, looks at mobilising public action, crucial if we're going to get on top of this global epidemic. Paper four takes a close look at specifically at child and adolescent obesity, which is a growing problem in many parts of the world. Paper 5 looks at the management of healthcare workers. This is absolutely crucial, of course, to get frontline medical staff aware of the challenges and signposts and markers of obesity and what action they need to take. And Paper 6, importantly, looks at strengthening accountability. That's to do with politicians and industry and the contribution that they can make, as well as individuals and society and public health, to really tackle obesity at the population level. We also have comments uh, looking at strategic science and also an introductory comment uh, from The Lancet. And now, as I said, let's hear the thoughts of Christina Roberto, who is based at the Harvard School of Public Health. And I began by asking her, is it a good time to be involved in tackling obesity? It is an exciting time. And I think there's reason to be optimistic because we're starting to see some progress somewhere. But we really need uh, quite a bit more more effort to make substantial progress moving forward. Are there pockets of good practice i mean can you can you point to any any real success stories in, in this slow but important uh, global fight against obesity ones that i'm most familiar with happen to be in the u.s and so boyd talks about uh this i think one of the boxes in his paper talks about some of the success in new york city for example so that's the place that's been very forward thinking when mayor bloomberg was there they had just a very ambitious uh, board of health that was committed to a lot of you know, healthy changes and specifically focused on obesity and diet. So they done things like they banned uh, the use of trans fats in restaurant foods. They were the first to introduce calorie labels on restaurant menus. They've had a whole series of other initiatives to try to improve the food served in different uh, you know, hospitals. They've had efforts to try to bring green carts and fruits and vegetables into lower income neighborhoods. That's an example of, you know, one pocket where we've seen a lot of progress and interesting ideas. And then some ideas haven't been successful there. Like they tried to introduce a fairly controversial policy to limit the portion sizes of sugary drinks so that they could mm. be served in containers over 16 ounces. And that ended up getting uh, defeated. But just a lot of innovative thinking. And what, what was neat about New York is they wanted to try stuff and test it and see what would happen. In terms of p- the potential for government in- intervention, you talked about New York. So in the United States, is any any kind of legislative action, does that have to happen at a state level or, or could it happen at a federal level as well? So it certainly can happen at either or, right? So some of the policies tend to be even very local, like at the city level in New York. Then there are some states that are doing things at the state level. And then we do have some policies at the federal level. But actually, we, we have very few at the federal level that have um, really tried to change the food environment. Another thing that I, I saw looking at what you were saying in your obesity series paper is... 
you're saying and your your colleagues also authors on the paper you're talking about a new way of looking at obesity they're talking about a reciprocal arrangement between individuals and the environment so just just tell us a bit more about what what you think the new approach needs to be and, and, what, and what's gone before yeah so i think what ends up happening is uh this we've talked about these false dichotomies throughout the series and i think this is one of them there these two perspectives tend to be pitted against one another and the perspectives are look, this is all the individual's responsibility versus, no, you know, it's the environment that's shaping food choices. This is particularly salient in the U.S., I think maybe even more so than other places in the world in terms of personal responsibility for, you know, your, your diet and your health. I think other countries have been a little bit more kind of liberal in their thinking around, around policies to help the individual. But what we talked about in this paper is really, rather than pit these two sides against each other, there are two truths here. It is true that people are responsible and make individual choices about their diet. Of course, it's also true that the environment shapes that in really significant ways. And then there ends up being this reciprocal relationship where the environment, for example, might shape preferences when you're really young. And so you can see how it sort of creates this vicious cycle where, yes, consumers are demanding unhealthy products in many ways, but the environment is helping to shape those preferences from a pretty early age. And so part of this article, I think what we wanted to do is acknowledge, yeah, both those things are true. Public health doesn't have to be pitted against this individual responsibility idea, but we can kind of frame it and think about ways that the environment can help shape individuals to be healthier. And individuals can, you know, in turn demand change from industry and work towards developing healthy habits as well. So so are you saying it's this new approach should actually be, as you said, rather than A versus B, polar opposites? Is it a kind of synthesis of the two? Is it is that how you see it? That's right. And I think I think it's really in the framing of it and the way it gets framed to the public and talked about in public public discourse where, yeah, you have this tradition of people in public health saying, no, no, it's all environment and people on the other side of that debate saying, no, it's the individual. Tell me a bit about the, the nourishing framework, because that's that's a useful context, isn't it, for, for obesity prevention as well? Yeah, absolutely. The world expert on the nourishing framework um, is Corinna Hawks, who's on the paper. So she... Um, uh, I believe helped develop it, if, if not led the development of it. But basically what it's trying to do is is break down different um, policy options into these various buckets. What's nice about the nourishing framework is we felt like it creates a, a nice structure for people to think about how to intervene on obesity. They've broken it up where you have the, the food environment and it, it has this host of different options. And so it's a lot of the things that I've been focused on in, in my research, but thinking about, okay, how can we label foods, thinking about economic incentives, so taxing would fall under that category, trying to think about incentives to motivate retailers to, to change what they're offering. So um, you can imagine tax breaks for supermarkets based on that. Um, so that's the, you can see that the bulk of it is thinking about, all right, how can we make certain changes um, to the food environment? Then the next level that is talked about in the nourishing framework are changes to the food system. And you can see the way we've structured the paper kind of falls into these bins where we give examples of each. So these are sort of a little more broad. Um, the way they describe it in this is kind of supply side. So are there ways to actually motivate uh, retailers, these broader, um, you know, food systems? Like, like uh, I'm trying to think what would be a good example. Maybe some of the farm to table or farm to school initiatives might be a good example of that or procurement policies so to hospitals one thing that we talk about in the paper is 
you know, the government has this interesting role where you've got certain government buildings or you have places like hospitals where if they change their policies about what they'll buy, which are called these procurement policies, that could just have a massive um, effect on the supply chain because, you know, they're huge uh, purchasers of food and the government can actually control what gets served in some of these various government buildings or hospitals can control what gets served in their cafeteria. And so when you make changes at that point, they can be very... um, broad and not just on who's eating in a cafeteria, but have a broad impact on the larger food supply. And then the last piece are these behavior change communication strategies. And, you know, we talk about this in the paper. These are very important. These are the strategies that are trying to inform people. It might be a public service campaign. Um, It might be nutrition advice or nutrition education. And, you know, undoubtedly we need these strategies. But what's interesting is that, you know, I think the consensus is that these strategies alone in the context of an unhealthy environment are not going to work. They're going to fall short. So education alone is just not going to be enough if it's not supported by a healthy environment. And so what you're seeing is actually a lot of countries have done some of these kinds of changes. And what we're calling for in the paper is really some of the the broader ones that are more focused on food environment and food system, because I think these alone are just not going to be enough. Many thanks again to Christina Roberto. Thanks for listening. See you next time.